The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin, Cleveland Sports Podcast. I am Tom Valentino, and I'm joined, as always, by the one and only Travis Uli. Trav, how you doing tonight? Never better, my man. Good evening. <laughs> so it's been eight days since we last convened. We are recording on Wednesday night. Lots going on. We're going to get into the Buckeyes and the college football playoff picture, a little bit of Browns, and then a few thoughts I had on my experience at the Cavs game on Saturday night. So first, uh, get the usual disclaimers out of the way. Uh, as you're probably familiar by now, we occasionally will say a bad word every now and then. And if you like what you hear on the show, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or really any other podcast app that you might enjoy for your phone. All right, we got uh, college football playoff picture, and the Buckeyes will not be playing this weekend, but may or may not still be uh, alive, I guess, in the in the grand scheme of things for the uh, the playoff race, what uh, what are you feeling right now? Well, I tend to stay a bit scarlet colored in my view of things, so I, I'm pulling that if one of the top two gets knocked off, uh, the Bucks will be the next team in. Um, seems to be general uh, mood uh, with with most folks seems to be that Stanford could potentially jump Ohio State. Um, I, I guess it's possible. Uh, it would be sort of, I don't know, a two-loss team jumping a one-loss team is a little is a little frustrating, I think, from an Ohio State fan's perspective, but I can certainly get it, being that they would have won their conference and Ohio State obviously would not have even played for their conference. Um, the one thing I think some people have mentioned particularly in relation to Clemson is the possibility of a team that loses this week staying in the playoff picture which I think is virtually impossible if Clemson or Bama get knocked off they're out um obviously whoever wins that big 10 game is pretty much guaranteed a spot and I think Oklahoma's guaranteed a spot so there's really only two spots open um yeah, it's unfortunate Ohio State can't do anything to earn their way into it right now. They kind of just have to hope others uh, drop the ball for them, I guess. Yeah, I don't have any problem with Oklahoma having their spot locked up. I think the teams that they beat, they had enough quality wins this year that they earned it. And I, I know it would be nice for the Big 12 to have a conference championship game like they used to back when they had 12 teams. But... Where they're at right now, I'm fine with that, and obviously I'm fine with the winner of Michigan State and Iowa getting in. I the th- Here's the thing. With Clemson and Bama, from Ohio State's perspective, every scenario that you can think of for Ohio State, none of them come into play unless one of those two teams up top loses. Right. So, and the one thing I'll say, I'll jump in real quick about Oklahoma. Um, they don't have a championship game, but they do have a clear cut conference champion, considering that every team plays each other in the Big 12. Yes. Um, and o- Oklahoma beat, uh, played everybody and finished 8 and 1. So, furthermore, to that, I don't have a big problem with that. It was an issue last year because TCU and Baylor both 
They were, split it. They split the conference championship, and they had the same record as Ohio State. Um, there was no clear-cut Big 12 champion. I think that is sort of where that – I think that's a big difference from what we had last year and why the argument this year isn't necessarily the same uh, for or against the Big 12. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, it was interesting to me before they released this week's rankings, there was a lot of talk that North Carolina, who's playing Clemson in the ACC championship this weekend, the thinking was they might possibly be able to jump all the way up into the top four with a win. And I'll be honest, after everything that the committee chairman said last night, and you just look at where they're ranked, I think they're, what, 10th right now? Yeah, they're 10th right now. 10th. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it here, 10th. I, I think win, lose, or draw for them, unless they run Clemson off the field by about 60 points, I don't think they can do that anymore, even though they're going to have won, I think, 11 straight games and – uh, beating the number one team in the country, they just yeah they're at they're at eleven right now. It would be twelve. It'd be twelve in a row if they beat Clemson. Okay. They lost the they lost their opener against opener. South Carolina and haven't lost since. Yeah. But it is it just the fact that they played the two FCS schools in their non conference schedule? Is that basically what sunk them? I mean that's that's yeah that's a big thing and they started very low. Um, no one really had very high expectations for them, especially when they lost their home or lost their opener. Um, and then, yeah, they piled up some some decent games against some garbage opponents. And the ACC was relatively weak this year, um, so I think that's why some are hesitant to give them too much credit for going eleven and one when their best win is probably I don't even know it might be Pitt. Um, they haven't really beaten anyone that's that's of any consequence. Um, obviously beating number one Clemson would be a big deal. It's, it's funny actually, because um, little known fact, if North Carolina ends up jumping Ohio state, it will probably be, uh, be because in, I want to say it was 2011, they actually had a series scheduled with Ohio state that was supposed to start in 2015. They backed out of it filled it last season with two with an FCS team. So <laughs> they swapped Ohio State out of their schedule and put in um, Delaware or whoever the, I don't even remember who the other FCS team was, but originally several years ago when they were putting these schedules together, Ohio State and North Carolina were supposed to play each other. So it'd be kind of funny if they back in having not really played much of anybody with the exception of Clemson. Yeah. Um, and take that spot away from Ohio State. Yeah. And I think the committee kind of said as much by keeping them down at number 10 in their rankings. Yeah, they're sending them. I think they tried They tried to send that message a little bit last year because you look at the non-conference schedule for uh, Baylor last year, it was really lean too. And they kinda, they've kind of set that precedent that you have to try and schedule teams. Um, I think they understand that you can't predict in advance how good or bad some of those teams are going to be. But if you're Ohio state or someone and you go and you schedule Virginia tech several years in advance, okay, it's a power five team. And then you fill it with a couple like regional, uh, other five conference teams. They're okay with that. Cause they understand the logistics and everything that go into it. But if you're just padding it with absolute trash, um, they're going to make you change that really quickly. Um, the sec hasn't necessarily taken a notice, but, 
Um, I think most everyone else in the country has sort of gotten on board with that. You look at, I think, um, the Big Ten this year, I think only had five or six FCS teams across the whole conference. Yeah. Um, so most teams didn't schedule any. And the ones that did aren't really, like, teams that were planning to, that anyone expects to go anywhere. You know, it's sort of those teams that they kind of just want to get bowl eligible. Um, they know that they're not going to be in the playoff picture anyway. So You're talking the, the Big Ten bottom feeders are, are the right. ones scheduling the FCS teams, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I think if you look at, like, in North Carolina, I think they, truthfully, they may fall into that in terms of the ACC, and they just kind of got – much better than they expected to be, but I don't know. I think the committee has kind of established that precedent already. You know, just shifting gears, talking about Ohio State and where they're at, it's just amazing to me when you think about everything, the way it unfolded this year for them and really things that were beyond their control. I mean, one of the first podcasts we did, we were laughing about the ending to that Michigan State-Michigan game. If, <laughs> I wish we could take that back, don't we? Yeah, I mean, really, if you think about it, if every single other thing went no, exactly... No, if everything else stayed the same. Exactly the same, and and Michigan gets that punt off, and they win that game, and everything else plays out exactly the same, it's exactly what you said. Ohio State's playing this weekend against Iowa, and they've got their fate in their hands, even with the loss exactly. to Michigan State. Yep. Just... Crazy how that – and the other thing that I think really kind of sucks is it feels in a way like Ohio State got penalized for having a quality loss versus Alabama. And I, I single them out specifically because the team that beat them in their division wasn't good enough to hold on to the top of their division standings. Ole Miss. Ole Miss ended up losing – and they're... speaking of like crazy endings, though, uh, if I don't know if you watched the Ole Miss Arkansas game, but if Arkansas doesn't convert that fourth and twenty-five, yeah, in overtime, Ole Miss is in the SEC championship game this weekend. Hold that thought. I have a question about that too. But I'm just when I'm thinking about it, though, is it's like okay, so they lost that game. Crazy circumstances aside, they lost. Alabama moves back up to the top of the SEC West. And their loss at the end of the day really doesn't mean anything because now they're playing for their conference championship, and if they win, they're in. And Ohio State, they lost one game to a team in their division, and it just so happened to be the team that was able to um, only have one loss to uh, a Nebraska team that's way down in the standings. And... So in that case, Michigan State wins a tiebreaker for the division title, and they're playing for the Big Ten now. So you want a system that's going to reward good wins and penalize bad losses, and here we have basically one team that's playing for its conference title and a spot in the playoff, and Ohio State, their fate's really out of their hands now, and it was because they lost to a better team. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it – I mean, in the grand scheme, if you look at quality of losses, um, which I, I don't I don't know that I necessarily subscribe to, but you do have to put some weight into who a team loses to. Um, Ohio State lost to a team that is pretty widely believed to be at least one of the best four or five in the country. Yep. Um, in crazy weather, which I, I know it's an excuse, but let's not pretend that that didn't impact that game. 
um, in crazy weather on a, a literally a field goal with no time left. They never trailed in the game until the game was over. Um, it's yeah. In terms of quality losses, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you look at if you look at uh, like impressive wins, I don't know that any any team in the top four or five has a win that looks better right now than what Ohio State did in Michigan on Saturday. That was um, so great, wasn't it? Oh, it was fantastic. It was, <laughs> it, and I'll admit, I, I'm, I'm, if you couldn't tell, quite the homer when it comes to Ohio State. So I, I always expect that sort of stuff to happen, and even I did not expect that to happen. Um, but it was great to see, um, seeing them kind of put it together. And that's the one thing they have going in their favor is – any, anyone on that committee that watched that game says, oh, this was that team we all thought was going to come around by the end of the season. Maybe they did it one week too late, which is a shame, and you have to put it on them. But the one thing that con- seems to continuously get lost in the discussion is the committee has come out and said that their goal is to pick the four best teams. Everyone goes out and they spout resumes and they say, well, this team did this and this team accomplished more than this. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone at this point say, Ohio State is not better than North Carolina or is not better than Stanford or is not better than even Iowa. Everyone seems to be in agreement that Ohio State is one of those four best teams. But the committee has this this set of uh, criteria or whatever that they wait when they're doing those evaluations. So it's sort of interesting that they're kind of between uh, between those two sides of the argument who has a more impressive resume, and who is really a better team. So let me ask you this then. What do you think would have happened to Alabama had Ole Miss not had that loss to Arkansas? And in that case, Ole Miss is playing for the SEC championship this weekend, and Alabama is basically sitting in the exact same position that Ohio State is. Well, it would have been interesting because Alabama – uh, or not Alabama, Ole Miss lost, they've lost three games since they played Alabama. Um, who knows where they would have fallen out. Assuming they beat Arkansas, I would have to go back and look. I don't know exactly where they were in the rankings at that point. Um, but, I mean, they had a two-touchdown loss to Memphis um, on their on their record, and I want to say they got blown out by Florida. I don't remember what it was, but... Um, their losses were not to good teams. Like, well, Florida is okay, and yeah, they're in the SEC, champ- uh, SEC championship game, but no one thinks they're that good. Thirty-eight um, to ten, that game was. Yeah. See, so that I mean, they got blown out by a team that last week couldn't score, scored two points um, against Florida State. And then I want Memphis. Yeah, they're having a nice season, but if you're going to contend for the SEC championship, you shouldn't be losing to Memphis. Um, I'm not totally sure what would have happened. It's, it's. I mean, we've seen it before. We saw it in uh, 2011 or 12 when they lost to LSU, took off championship week, and still ended up in the championship game. Yeah. And, that. I mean, that was a computer formula that based a lot on the polls. I have to think that, I, don't, I mean, Alabama the, probably just gets the benefit of that doubt more than Ohio State does, which is kind of silly considering um, how mediocre the conference is this year, um, the SEC is this year, and what Ohio State did to them last year. 
Yeah, that so. was where I was going with that. And that, that was my point. It was, I just, it's weird to me that I feel like they still get a benefit of the doubt more than any other team in all of college football. And there was, I know there was some talk this week that there was a lot of debate whether they should be number one over Clemson. And I, I just, based on what? Like, what have they done this year? Okay, they're winning games, and that's fine. But it's like you just said, that conference is not what it's been in the past. I'll take the top five of the Big Ten over the top five of the SEC all day this year. And I, I would agree. It's that close. Yeah, um, I, I and the in the if you look at it, the the playoff rankings right now would completely back that up. You've got four, th- three teams in the top six are Big Ten teams right now. Right, and I mean, say what you want about Iowa's uh, schedule. They've got some. They have some decent wins on their schedule. Like they beat Northwestern, who's ranked. They beat Wisconsin, who's ranked. Um, they they haven't just. I mean, I I would have to look, but I think Alabama's probably only beat two or maybe three teams that are currently ranked. Two. Uh, if you used last week's rankings, it was only one. Yeah, um, and somehow Tennessee moved up into number twenty-five, which I don't really understand. But LSU, I'm assuming, moved back up into it. Uh, yep, they're twenty-one. And is Wisconsin still out, or are they back in? I'm, they got bumped out for bumped out. okay for Tennessee. So, yeah, I mean. Big Ten's got five of the top 15. Yeah, the Big Ten's not bad this year. Yes, they have some garbage at the bottom, just like everybody. Um, but I I'm, I don't know. I don't want to hear about how great Mississippi State is, like how deep the SEC is. No, Alabama's good. They're a very good team. Can't take that away from them. But their second best team is probably Ole Miss. And as we just debated, Ole Miss got the shit kicked out of them by Memphis. And yeah. then choked away a game to an Arkansas team who is not good. I think they gave up 50-some points in that game. Um, Ole Miss is not that good either. Um, LSU looked good until Alabama knocked them in the mouth, and they just folded after that. Um, they put one last win up last week for their coach, which kind of cool. I'm, a, I'm, I'm actually a big Les Miles fan, so I'm good with that. Um, Did you see that picture of all their administrators at his post-game press conference? God, has anything ever been, like, botched so badly? Oh, my God, those guys are a mess. It was a non-move. It was a non-decision, and they still managed to look horrible in the process. They all, anybody listening, this lineup of LSU administrators that were ready to get rid of their coach, Les Miles, until – Basically, common sense prevailed, and they realized what a terrible idea that was going to be. They were all standing in the back of the room during his press conference after he won that game and got he got carried off the field, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he gets carried off the field. He has this big triumphant moment, uh, save his season, basically, and they knew at that point, can't fire him, and they were all standing back there. You'd think they would be happy that they just won their last game of the year, and they all looked like they wanted to – to shoot him or something. It was unbelievable. Know. I mean, they just know. I mean, he didn't do anything. No. In that situation. They brought that all on themselves. Like, and it's not the first time they've done it. I remember when the, uh, like the Michigan, when, when he was first rumored to be going to Michigan and they were making a big deal out of it. LSU, like not necessarily the administrators, but the fan base was, um, a bit way more, 
like we can do better than a team should have ever been coming off of like a national championship. Um, I want to say it was 08 or 09. I can't remember for sure, but it was like one or two years after they beat Ohio State for that title. And everybody seemed like, oh, this will just keep rolling. Les Miles is a hell of a coach. And I mean, you just saw it at Georgia. I think these SEC teams are getting a little bit ahead of themselves. They seem to be um, like, if you can't beat Nick Saban, we need to go another direction. If you can't beat Nick Saban, get in line. There's a yeah. lot of coaches out there that can beat him that can't beat him. Most of them are very good. There's maybe only I mean, there's only a handful that can routinely put together, you know, the kind of the kind of team and the kind of game plan to beat him. Um, I'm not sure how uh, Ole Miss seems to be one of those teams at the moment, but if that's your standard, you're probably being unrealistic and you're not going to find someone better because for what he is, Nick Saban is one of the two best coaches in the country. And there, I, I, I personally think there's a significant gap between Urban Meyer, uh, Nick Saban, and everybody else. I would agree with that. So I think if you're LSU, you probably need to be happy with your 9 to 10 wins every year. Um, more often than not, being in the top 10. Um, and if you can sneak in, you know, to the SEC championship game, go for it. But, I mean, they've got the number one uh, recruiting class in the country right now with Les Miles. Why you would get rid of him and risk losing that is beyond me because they've got a pretty damn good foundation for future years too, I think. Well, see, I think this will be the thing to kind of keep an eye on the next couple of years is you had two programs that in that conference that are, I would say, at a pretty similar level in Georgia and LSU. I know LSU's won a couple of titles, but Georgia's in the mix every year, and they play in, I think, the easier of the two divisions in that conference, so their odds you of getting into that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going out on a real That's limb. Yeah. yeah, I know. So I'm going out on a real limb with that. But I, I, So you have these two programs in Georgia and LSU that are pretty comparable, I would say, and one of them chose to ultimately keep their coach, LSU with Les Miles, and then Mark Richt at Georgia was let go. So they went and hired the Alabama defensive coach uh, to be their new head coach, I think. I don't know if that's been made official, but it kind of sounds like that's the unofficial deal. Um, I just It'll be interesting to see which one of those approaches ends up working, whether it's the team that goes with stability or the one that took a gamble on getting rid of the coach that was good for nine or ten wins every year. Yeah, and you did actually. You asked this, and I didn't mention it, but um, not sure if you saw. Mark Richt appears to be heading to Miami. Is that going to happen? That looks like it's looks like it's pretty much a done deal at this point. So I think that'll be interesting. Um, hmm. I think coaching in the ACC obviously is a bit easier than the SEC, almost based on um, just support you'll get from uh, the school and the boosters and whatnot. Um, and I think they kind of they'll accept that it's a bit of a rebuild. Um, he can come in there. There's so much talent in Florida. He probably has a lot of those um, relationships already built, as well as in Georgia. If he can bring a little bit of that Southern talent, and I think he's sort of a guy that he's got a good reputation. I think he can. Cl- I don't know that Miami right now is is needs cleaned up, 
but I think he'll run a clean program and he won't necessarily fall into a lot of the pitfalls that previous Miami coaches have fallen into. Man, I hope so he ends up going somewhere else. I, like, I, I, I mean, I like Mark Richt a lot, I think. Yeah, that's it's, what I was going to say. I don't like Miami. Players, I think in terms of coaches, and he, I think he probably has been one of those guys. He won't come out and say it because he's not the kind of guy to, like, knock other other people or talk bad about other people, but I think he's probably one of those guys that has sacrificed a win or two to do things the right way over the years. And yeah. I don't know. I think Miami's probably really lucky to have him, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Georgia regrets getting rid of him in the next couple of years. Yeah, I was going to say, I like him as a coach a lot, and I don't like Miami as a program at all, so I'm really hoping that that doesn't actually happen. I hope he finds somewhere else to go. <laughs> but... I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think he probably needs to get out of the SEC um, because I think, every, like I said, every team in the SEC, I think, has this sort of delusion that they should be able to compete with Alabama within the next year or two. And it, that's just not realistic, I think. Yeah. Um, just based on what they do talent-wise there at Alabama. Yeah. Well, speaking of unrealistic expectations, uh, a whole lot of people, as you might have seen in videos posted from First Energy Stadium that found their way to Deadspin uh, late Monday night and early Tuesday morning, a, a lot of people had some uh, expectations crushed on Monday Night Football with the ending uh, to the Ravens and Browns. Um, I, I don't – what was your reaction to that and the way that whole game went down? Um, truthfully, I was on, I was pretty happy with how the offense operated and moved. I thought McCown did a pretty decent job. Um, and Austin Davis came in, and I thought he did a pretty good job. The defense, again, just – not good. They're not. I'm not sure what the problem is, but no one's really that good. There's not a single impact maker on that defense, and they can't really stop anybody. So I don't know. It's frustrating. I'm sort of torn because I'm 100% in draft mode, um, where any win at this point does it really serve any purpose? Does it help your team in the long run or hurt your team in the long run? Because there's no immediate rewards coming for this team. Um, so what's the point? Yes, losing kind of sucks. Losing's not fun. It's always more fun to win. But I think that's more of a short-term thing. Uh, what I said this week, actually, right after the game was, hey, the Browns probably won this game because it's probably going to be one win too many to give the Ravens a shot at Joey Bosa, which means the Buck, uh, the Browns won't have to go against him twice a year for the next decade. <laughs> so it probably worked out okay for them. And they should yeah. just, hey, we, we hung in there, we played really well, we probably had a good chance to win, and this fluke play at the end cost us a game that, in the end, in six months, we're probably going to be glad we lost. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned the whole thing about draft position and whatnot. Do you listen to the A to Z podcast I've seen it, but no, I haven't. I haven't listened to it. Okay, Andre Not Zach Jackson. Andre Not uh, works for TAM, and he's the Indians in-game reporter. He's and on Zach, too, I think, right? What's that? He used to be on eight fifty at least. Yeah, I, not anymore. Okay. Um, but he he was there at one point, and uh, Zach Jackson works for Pro Football Talk now. He used to be with Fox Sports, uh, their website. Um, 
great podcast, and both of them at various points in their career, or, or previous stops, I should say, they worked for the Browns in different capacities. So they know a little bit more behind the scenes, and they really understand how the business of the NFL works more than any, uh, more than a lot of people, uh, especially in, in the local media here that you would hear on the uh, regular radio uh, normally. And Andre, I think, especially was really going in on the whole notion that this whole idea of losing is good in the long run. It's bad because you need to set a culture. You need to be winning games. And in a lot of team situations, I would completely agree with that. With this franchise where they're at right now, I'm with you. I want the best draft pick possible. And I know there are people out there who are going to say, well, the Browns will just blow it in the draft anyway. And, or, or do you want to, you know, and we get into the whole discussion about Ray Farmer in the front office. Look, I'm pretty sure in every week that goes by, I think you're going to see them clean house after this year is over. And no, nobody wants to go through another rebuild from square one again, but you kind of have to do it at this point because is there any part of this regime right now from the front office down to the coaching staff that you feel like these are guys that can take us to the Super Bowl? Yeah, no, not at all. Right. Um, I, they got to go. And I know there was a lot of people that like Mike Pettin, and I think there have been a lot of things that um, a lot of situations that he's been thrown into that probably aren't his fault. But I got to be honest, there's also things that I think are squarely on his shoulders. When I'm watching the defense line up and there are guys that have to come sprinting out on the field right before the ball snapped because they don't know they're supposed to be in the game, that's bad coaching. When you've got a quarterback who is getting destroyed and you send him back out on the field with a broken collarbone, that's negligence. I mean, there are things that they're doing as a coaching staff. And again, he's going to stick to his guns with, with this defensive scheme that they've got in. By all accounts, from anybody who understands football, they're going to tell you it's horrible. So, like, getting back to my, my original point here, I'm fine with these guys. The best favor that they can do for Browns fans right now is to set up this franchise as best they can with the best assets and the best resources. That means the highest draft picks you can have and the cleanest salary cap sheet that you can put together. And because, like, I don't think anybody that's involved with this front office right now or this coaching staff is going to still be there when it comes time to the draft next April. So as far as I'm concerned, go ahead and lose these games, clear out this roster, clear out this coaching staff, clear out this front office, and let's start again in 2016. Yeah, I mean, one thing to think about, people that are like, oh, they, they're just going to blow the picks anyways. They haven't been in a position to really go take like those surefire guys because yeah. they always win one too many games. Yep. Like when there was two quarterbacks that everyone wanted, they were drafting fourth they're always like just out of reach of the guys that they want. And so, yeah, maybe they don't pick just the right guys, but if you look at who, like who everyone's taking, a lot of those guys don't pan out. So yeah, if you're picking seventh or eighth or whatever it is, you're not going to get a franchise quarterback. You're not going to get one of the top, like two or three lately. It's just been defensive linemen, those rush guys. Um, And if you can't get one of those, those three or four guys at the top, you're probably out of luck and you have to, for lack of a better term, gamble. 
yes, you should be analyzing, you should be able to develop that talent better, but wouldn't you want them to be in the in, in the position where they can get those guys that have a higher probability of success? you got to put yourself in position to get those guys. And if you have a history of screwing up your first-round picks, so be it. But I, I, you got to give yourself the best chance Don't and hope that the next – Don't that risk by giving them the best pick possible? Give them the best chance right. and, and give them the highest pick in, in those new guys and hope that they get it right for once. And, and just – it's it's frustrating. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe they will screw it up. But I'd rather they get up there, get a top one or two pick, and take one of the, the three guys that everyone is pretty much in – unanimous agreement close to unanimous unanimous agreement is going to be a good nfl player and go from there and that's it who who are those three right now i think it's probably if you have to put a quarterback in because people always include the quarterbacks so i think it's lynch and then the two uh that paxton lynch the quarterback from memphis Lynch, the quarterback from memphis who has rocketed up draft boards this year um and then joey bose from ohio state and robert kim dj from Ole miss those three guys are pretty much I mean Lynch obviously the quarterbacks automatically have more risk because there's naturally more reward but uh, Bosa and Kim DJ are both pretty widely accepted to be notably ahead of everyone else that's in this draft um, there's a, I mean there's a couple DBs like the uh, the kid from uh, Florida State whose name escapes me at the moment um and then there's Laquan Treadwell, the kid from Ole Miss, who's a wide receiver. Everyone thinks is probably the best wide receiver in the draft, but I, I don't think I'll say it, and I, it'll drive everyone crazy. I don't think if you have a top three pick, you take a, a wide receiver. But, Not unless you have a quarterback in place. Exactly. So I think for them, if they don't take a quarterback, they need to take Bosa or Kim Dice. Um And you don't want them drafting four where they can't take any of those. Yeah. So, I mean, we've been there. We saw in the luck RG3 draft, who knows if RG3 would have done the same thing here that he did in Washington, um, both the good and the bad. But wouldn't you have rather been in that position to take him instead of, uh, was that the year we traded up for Richardson? Yep. Yeah. See, so, I don't know. I, I, I personally think, especially Browns fans, Browns fans love the draft. How do they not get on board with this? Yeah, I just, you know, just getting back to how I started the whole thing about the Browns here. It was just amazing to me to see those people at the game that were just melting down over the way that game ended. Like, I, I genuinely feel for people that can still get that upset. <laughs> By by the 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 wins, yeah. I just like the one guy I saw wearing one of the new jerseys, and he was like tearing it like Hulk Hogan getting into the ring. Yeah, and he yeah, and he, and he he just ripped it right down the middle, and and it sounded like his girlfriend or his wife or somebody was crying off camera, telling him not to do it, and. Just get there was one video that I saw that the, the, you, you could hear like a bunch of people freaking out, and then the camera turns, and there are these two guys, these two idiots, just laughing and laughing. That was me and my dad. My dad was over on uh, on Monday night, and we watched it. Neither one of us were even mad when that happened. It was like 
that is the most Browns thing ever to, to lose a game where not only do you miss the field goal, okay, I mean, it was 51 yards, you'll go to overtime. No, that's not good enough. We have to go ahead and have it blocked and returned as time expires. It's like just incredible how that happens. And it's like just when you think they found every single way to lose a game, it's it's I just I can't get mad anymore. No, I, 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 I don't know how people I don't know how people can be seriously like invested in each game with this team anymore when the games are already so meaningless like nothing nothing good really comes from winning that game after that day once you leave the stadium and you go home happy and you wake up the next day they're in a worse position than they were yeah you know what i mean so i don't know i guess my last thought on the browns is uh I don't know that a guy has that I can ever recall has done more to like endear himself to me, um, at least as a Browns fan, than Josh McCown has this year. That dude just he he's he's okay. I'm not gonna go out on a go out and say that he's really good or anything, but he's pretty good. And he just has. I mean, he's just got heart. You can tell he gets the shit kicked out of him every game. And he will do everything he can to get out there and play. Turns out he's done for the season now, so so much for that. But I'll tell you what, I never thought that would be the guy that I was like, man, I'm, I really liked watching him play this year, but I did. Yeah, I, I can't argue with any of that. And I will, I, I, I got a mea culpa here a little bit because when they signed him last January or February, it was really early on before like the traditional free agency period even started because he was already a free agent because he had gotten cut um, from Tampa. I I was really disgusted with that signing. I, I said, look at this guy's record. Look at where he's been. And, and he was in a position in Tampa where he could have been kept on to help mentor uh, Jameis, their, their top pick, and they were like, no thanks, we want nothing to do with you. And I'm like, this guy had a few good games with the Bears a few years ago. What in God's name do you think he's going to bring here? And like you said, he ended up, he was decent. And you could see just the professionalism that he brought to the team. Um, he said all the right things. He did all the right things. He did exactly what was asked of him. And to be honest, like, if you look at when when they signed him, everyone's like, oh, the Browns overpaid for him, blah, 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 all this stuff. No one else wants him. How many teams in the league do you think wish they had him on their team this year? Absolutely. I can tell you, I, Dallas I, would have given a ton to have him in backup instead of the guys they had. Yeah, it, it, um, it, it's really amazing. And if they do go ahead and draft a quarterback in the first round, I hope, it, it, I hope uh, McCown stays and whoever they draft is parked on the bench for a year and just sits behind them and watches how to play the position. I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but I definitely would want him in the QB room and, and at least serving as a backup because I, I think he's a guy that's it's comfortable with that role. And I, I, I get why they wanted to go after him now. It, it makes some sense to me and – that's one of the – put it to you this way. This season has been an absolute dumpster fire, and just looking at their roster up and down beyond the quarterback position before the year started, I didn't think they were headed to anything good. 
I thought their seven and nine record last year was more of a reflection of the bad divisions that they played on their schedule and the bad teams in those divisions that they played more than them actually being on the rise. And I felt like they were going to be regressing one way or another this year. But by and large, all that said, for as bad as this season's been, and for as much turmoil as they've had at quarterback, quarterback's not been the problem for them. Nope. I don't even know that offense has been the problem for them. In a no. couple games it has been, but by and large, the defense has just killed this team. And we say it every week, so it's it's not even really worth spending too much time on. But No, no, I, I would say the one thing with the offense is they, they don't know how to develop a running game. They also and... don't really know how to like finish drives, which is yeah. big. But by and large, I think it, it, you have to say that the defense has been a bigger liability than the offense. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Uh, what do we got? Five more games left? Yeah. Good riddance. Thank God. Get it over with. Seriously. No <laughs> kidding. Yeah. So, anyway, um, lighter note, Cavs. Um, just quickly, with, with, with the on-court stuff, I think we're getting closer to Kyrie and Iman Shumpert coming back, and it's probably a good time for that because I think they've kind of stalled a little bit. They've had about four straight games now where even though they've won a couple of them, they haven't looked great in any of them. And I think they're 5-4 and four overall in their last nine games. So just not really looking like the juggernaut that we were hoping for and kind of feels like they need that boost a little bit right now. The one I, I don't really have a lot of glaring concerns for them. The one thing that is concerning to me is the fact that uh, Timofey Mozgov, I think right now, is borderline unplayable, which, considering he's the starting center, is a bad sign. Is concerning, yeah. He's I'm not sure what, what the deal is with him. Um, yeah, he looks like a stiff out there right now. It's not It's not encouraging because he's not really doing anything well. He's a liability literally every time he's around the ball. I mean, I, I watched it last night against Washington, and if he, he was getting shots in good position and couldn't finish. He couldn't secure rebounds. He was setting illegal screens. I, I think he had four turnovers in nine minutes. It, for a guy that's not getting a ton of touches, it, it was like literally something bad happened every time he was around the ball. It was unbelievable. And he's a guy who's take who if he's taking shots, they should be fairly high percentage shots that are close to the basket, and yeah. he's shooting forty four percent. Yeah, yeah, so. his numbers are down, and I just the thing the, the thing that I'm going to cling to with him is the fact that we know he can be good. He was really effective last year, and Very I think he effective. completely he completely reshaped their their defensive structure and what they were able to do once he came in. So he has it in him. We know that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he had that knee scoped over the summer. Just doesn't look like he's moving well. And I, I don't – I mean, he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. I know he said last night they, they were asking him about it after the game, and he just kind of was like, I'm done talking about that stuff. But, like, I don't know, man. Like, they might need to shut him down again for a little while because, I mean, he had the, the, the surgery over the summer. He missed a little over a week, I think, here – um, in late November, and it like coming back, he still doesn't look right. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. 
Yeah, I mean, he's been he's definitely been disappointing. I think I think he's one of those guys that yeah, you you might be right. You might need to shut him down for I don't know a week or two, give him a few games off, just let him rest. Um, probably more for the mental aspect than the physical aspect, but just so because he's probably beating himself up quite a bit for how he's been playing. He knows he's not playing well. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I think that that could be helpful. I also think he'll benefit once the whole team comes back in. I think with um, with Kyrie and Shumpert being out, a lot of guys are probably putting more pressure on themselves to be factors offensively than they really need to be um, because they're trying to fill those voids. And I don't know that they necessarily need – I don't know if they need a big offensive output from Mozgov. If they can get, I don't know, 10 points a game from him um, – I don't know, 20, 25 minutes. 25 minutes probably is a good spot for him in terms of how long he's on the floor. But I don't I don't think they need a ton from him. He just can't, like, kill them the way he's been doing. Yeah, you need him to play defense. You need him to rebound the ball. Get rebounds, get a block here and there. Um, but overall, just be be stable, be reliable. And he hasn't been, so... I think maybe if you get let him get his head right, um, that could go a long ways for um, how he is later in the season. Because, like we say, every week he just needs to – everybody on the team needs to use the next 60 games to get ready for the important ones. Yeah. And we'll, we'll say it every week from now until June. Um, these games don't matter yet. They do matter in terms of building the team and getting everybody on the same page, but you can't let one game impact your focus or how you play the next game because these games aren't that big of a deal. Yeah. So in the meantime, um, I was at the game on Saturday night against the Nets. Yeah, I heard you you were up with the bleacher bombs. I was. I I was up in the the high rent district uh, in... Section 216, which, by the way, I, all the times I've been to the queue, I have never noticed this before. All of the tunnels and the, the stairs where they have the section numbers marked, they're all around the queue. They have a pretty standard generic stencil font that they use. For that section there, they have a special design for 216 with the Cleveland skyline because of the 216 okay. area code. I took a picture of it. I've it never was noticed re- that. I'll have to look at it next time. I don't know if that's been there all the time or if that's something that they just added. I thought it was a really cool touch. It is kind so, of cool. So, yeah, like it was that. a nice little subtle thing. Um, but, yeah, I got to tell you, it, it was really interesting to me sitting there. And, and it was the second game I've been to this year. And a um, couple things I noticed. So the Cavs in the last uh, week or two, they've stopped participating in the pregame player introductions. So you've got the PA announcer still announcing all the players and everything around them is going on just as they normally would. But the players themselves are getting into a huddle away from the bench and then they're taking off their warmups and they're stepping out on the floor and they're ready to go like long before they need to be. And the whole thing is trying to just set this tone about how, well, we're getting down to business and we're serious and, and we're setting a real tone for how it's going to be out here. And, it was one of those things where when it happened in Toronto, the the 
Toronto cheerleaders do like a whole routine on the floor and they had to like go around the Cavs players because they were standing out on the floor during the Raptors introductions and it was really awkward. Well, it was really funny to like see it in Cleveland because the Cavs have a very elaborate uh, pregame routine and, and, and introductions. They've got these 3D projections that are done on the floor, which everybody always likes. And the thing is, those things are designed to go around the area around the bench so that they can shine a spotlight on the bench where the players are coming off the coming off the bench and coming out onto the floor between the the lines of their teammates from the the backups and what the Cavs doing the, the players doing this new thing now the pregame people don't necessarily know how to I haven't really figured out how to adjust to it yet because they kind of had a spotlight wandering around between the bench and the huddle and everywhere else. And the players are like standing right where the projections are supposed to be happening on the court. And the whole thing was just kind of like wacky and awkward. And I, I, I don't know how long they'll keep doing it, but it was just kind of a funny little thing to watch unfold and, and see like th- their own team, even th- th- you know, the, the home f- uh, production crew even kind of scratched their heads. Like, what do we do with these guys? We're not exactly, yeah, we're not exactly sure how to accommodate this. Yeah. Um, when you were there, did they show like did they show the players uh, like faces on the floor? Yeah, okay. I think they they, That's think, what they did I think they I still do there, that. Like as they announced the guys, the guys didn't run out, um, but they like projected basically like a, a picture of them on the floor, which was it, it. It looked cooler on the. Do you find that it looks a lot? It's a lot easier to like kind of see on the screen like it's not necessarily that bright when it's actually projected on the floor if you are i was gonna say if you're sitting up at the right angle i think it looks pretty good and i i was about three or four rows away from shaking hands with god so i um had a pretty decent view of that but um yeah it, it uh it works um i i think it loses something if you're sitting close to the floor just because it, it's meant to be viewed from up high. Right. But, um, you know, the, the one other thing that I was going to say with the, the in-game presentation, one thing that they do for the sections that are kind of in the corners and behind the baskets, and that's where I was sitting, was uh, behind the basket uh, towards the end of the floor where the visitor's bench is. During the game, during every timeout, they've got a wacky contest of some sort going on on the floor or the scoreboard or both. But what they do during the game, it's really, I understand that those are the worst seats in the house and you really, you're far away from the action, especially when the play is taking place at the other end of the floor. So they want to keep people up there engaged. And I get that. And I, I don't blame them for wanting to do that, but it, this drove me nuts they were doing t-shirt tosses while the game was going on. So like it started during the timeouts and then like after the timeout was over and the play resumed, they had guys actually like come out of the tunnels and stand down in front of the section and like getting people. And they were coming up onto the stairs and trying to get people. And I'm waving my hands here. Like you could see me, you're like an idiot, but 
they're like, yeah, come on, let's go, okay. They're trying to get chance going, and, and who can make the most noise? And, oh, we're going to look over this way, and, oh, now I'm going to look at this direction. Maybe I'm going to throw it up here. Maybe I'm going to throw it down here. And it would, like, go on and on and on, and everybody's going nuts and going crazy. Meanwhile, I'm looking behind the guy that's waving this one single T-shirt that he's going to give away out of, to somebody in this crowd of about 200 people around me. One person's going to get a T-shirt after this whole thing's going on. And while this guy's getting everybody up and cheering and going crazy, the Nets are making a three-pointer and building a lead of about 10 points. It's like you're completely disconnected with what's going on there, and you're just interfering with people's ability to like actually watch the game. And I know that's going to make me sound like the old man get off my lawn and the whole nine yards, but it's like I got no problem with a T-shirt toss, but you got 100 timeouts during a game. Could you please keep that to when the action's not going on on the floor? Yeah, that's kind of funny you mentioned that. I didn't notice it that so much when I was there, but I definitely, like, there's times where there's just too much going on while the game is actually going on. Like, other stuff to, like, yeah, and I know you have to keep fans engaged. You want them to have a good time. You want them to leave remembering. But that that T-shirt, it's going to be an XL, and it's going to go to some guy who's 5'8 and 150 pounds, and he's never going to wear the shirt, and... Like, all these people go nuts for this stuff. Like, sometimes they shoot, like, hot dogs and all this stuff. Who wants this crap? Just get out of the way. <laughs> like, well, we're here to watch a game. Like, I, I get it. You want people involved in stuff and, and giveaways get people excited. But, jeez, give me yeah. a break. And uh, yeah. I'll say this. It seems like uh, the folks at the queue do a really good job um, in terms of, like, in in arena experience. Um, I, I haven't been to any other arenas, but from what I've heard, um, the folks there, both the video production team and like the in-house entertainment people do as good a job as anybody else in the league in that arena. So I guess I'm not going to question them too much, but I'm with you at times. It's just like, geez, just show the game and get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I'm with you. I don't want this to be like, oh, the the Q's game presentation sucks. And I'm not saying that at all. I I think by and large they do a lot of good things. And uh, but yeah, that that one thing, it's like don't do stuff like that while the the game's actually going on. It's just it's really distracting. Another thing is distracting, and it has nothing to do with the people who work there. It's people who decide to try to sneak into better seats and then get caught and then they have to go through the whole song and dance of like oh i thought this was my seat oh i'm, I'm so- let me tell you something stop with the bullshit okay if you're somebody who does this you're not fooling anyone just fess up to it just say i saw yes. some empty seats and i want it it's like that old that old seinfeld bit it's like oh i see the confusion these seats are very good my seats are very bad. Okay, I get it. Yeah, everyone knows that, no, you didn't just stumble upon these good seats that are way better than yours. Yeah, let me tell so. you something. That Let me know the next time you see somebody in the wrong seats who goes, oh, my bad, and they I'm go and move here. into, and they, they, they realize that their right seats are actually better. Right. Funny how that never happens. Never happens, does it? And another thing I'm going to tell everybody out there, if you're going to try to sneak into some better seats, Make sure it's worth the effort. We had somebody in our section showed up after the game started. While the game's going on, they come up the aisle, 
and they sit down about four rows in front of us. Okay, fine. Five minutes later, the rightful holders of those seats show up. So then at this point, we get into the whole, oh, I didn't know these. Are, are you sure? So they, they're making these people who should rightfully be sitting there stand around like a bunch of idiots it, it, because people are in their seats. And it's like, rather than just like getting up and getting out of the way as quickly as you can and minimizing the uh, the distraction, you got to make a scene. And, and like, I don't know what your end game is there. So then they finally get out of their those seats and they go take their rightful seats they're two rows behind them and still in front of me. And it's like, you went through all of that to improve your view by two rows sitting in the 200 level. Like five feet. Go to hell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to agree with you. Like, yeah, if you're going to fake it and you're going to get in that situation, get down in, get down in the club level. Go, Go big. Yeah. Try to get some seats that are worth getting. Yeah. Make you. it count. I'm with you. Last last one, and this is just a, a, a pro tip for everybody out there. The seat numbers in a section in just about any arena or stadium that you go to, they're going to run in the same direction going around as the section numbers do. So if you have seats 1, 2, and 3, and you're in section 216, go up the tunnel between 215 and 216. Don't go up the tunnel between 16 and 17 because you're going to have to go crossing over everybody's lap down the whole aisle. Because that those people, they ended up having to do that as well. Oh, it just, yeah, yeah. So they, 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 uh, you know, they it just. Oh, I'm, I'm still aggravated by it. <laughs> I love it. I'll be honest. The, uh, the frustration in your voice almost makes it worth it to me. <laughs> you know what the moral of the story is here is I just I need to go sit down courtside next time. Uh, hey, go for it, man. If they kick you out, they <laughs> kick you out. I'll tell you what, as soon as we get a sponsor for this podcast, then uh, then maybe I can make that happen. Make but in the happen. meantime, I'm I'm going to probably be staying out, in Loudville. Up in Loudville. I'm with yeah. you, buddy. All right. Beautiful. We're at just about an hour here total, so I think it's a good place to wrap up. Any other uh, parting shots from you? No. Um, I guess go Tar Heels, go Gators. Hoping go Trojans. Yeah, we go we don't want Trojans Stanford to uh, Trojans too, but I need the first two first. So yeah, we'll see. I'll hope against hope that all three things happen. But I think if two of those three go Ohio State's way, I think they can get in. But so. if any less than that happens, I don't think they do. We'll see. We'll we'll talk again next week. We'll go. We'll know next time we have this. We'll have a very clear picture. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. All right. So a reminder, everybody out there, you can always subscribe to our show on iTunes and Stitcher. Links for both of those are in the description for this episode. Individual episodes can always be found at nailinthecoffincle.blogspot.com. For Travis Uli, I am Tom Valentino. We will talk to you again next week. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. 
There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.